I think it goes without saying this morning that this is a very encouraging morning. It is a, uh, a morning that we should be joyful on, a morning that, that, that should cause us excitement, a morning that should cause us to be thankful, uh, a moment that we have been anticipating for, for many years as we look at these four young children who have uh, uh, confessed the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and who desire to follow after Him and to go into the baptismal waters to die like Christ died and to raise to newness of life, to proclaim to the world, I am a Christian and I'm going to follow Christ. It's encouraging their desire to obey the command, believe and be baptized. And we should be, church, excited. We should be joyful. And, we have, and, and we're going to have several family members here to, 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 to experience this with us. To come and to see and, and to witness these children going into the baptismal waters and, 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 and to be supportive to them and to us. And that is good and right. And you know what? For many of us, we, we've seen these children grow up. We've seen them grow in their speech. We've seen them grow in their character. We've seen them uh, uh, grow up in how they interact with one another. And we've seen them develop and grow. And we've prayed, as we've mentioned, we've prayed for, for, for years since they were in the womb. As we pray for all of our children, that God would save them. That God would open up their eyes and their ears to the shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, to call them. And we arrive at this day, and that's good news, church. That should cause us great reason to rejoice and be thankful. However, I think the temptation for us this morning is to merely look at them and think, oh, they are so cute. And they are. <laughs> and they are. They are cute. But the temptation for us is just to look at them and go and, and, and think merely they're so cute. I think it's safe to say that when we look upon them, none of you are thinking, I want to be like them. You're not thinking, what can they teach me? You're not thinking that Caleb and Jackson and Haddon and Charlie are your role models on what it means to follow Christ. I think it's safe to say we're probably not looking at that this morning. But church, recognize that in our culture and in many cultures, children are despised. They're despised. They're looked upon as an annoyance. They're inconvenient. They have no place in the societal hierarchy. And they're regularly pushed aside. But this is not what Jesus thinks of them. This is not how He views them. This is not how He looks at them. And in Mark chapter 10, the disciples, they were, they were prohibiting the children to come to Christ. This isn't any time for them right now. We have more important things to do. We're, we're engaged in ministry. And Jesus was indignant. Indignant. That's the same word that's used how the scribes and the Pharisees and the chief priests felt. Remember when Jesus was riding in on the donkey, proclaiming himself to be king, and the crowds were yelling, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest! Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! And the chief priests and the scribes were indignant. Same word. Very strong language here. Indignant. 
And Jesus says, let them come to me and do not hinder them. Church, when we see their simple faith and trust in Christ, when we see them and their excitement to go out and hand out tracts and to hand out Bibles, when you hear their enthusiasm to say amen, when you hear them sing and sing loud and, and, and like me, they, they sing off key, and, and, and when, you, when, when you hear them call upon the name of the Lord in prayer for the simple things, and they're calling upon the name of their God in faith, when you see their desire to read and to write all over their Bibles, which I encourage in my own house, <laughs> when you see them engaging with their Scriptures, or you hear them when they clap their hands, some of you don't know this, the kids have been clapping their hands every single week when we break the bread at the Lord's Supper for years. Since I think we started doing it, they clap every single week in joy when Nick, Aaron, or myself breaks that bread. When you see that, when you hear that, what runs through your mind? Foolish, childish ways? Or that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. That's what it means to love Jesus Christ. That's what it means to enter into the kingdom. When the disciples ask Jesus this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven here in Matthew chapter 18? Jesus takes a child. <laughs> he takes a child and puts him in the midst of them. Not to play with them. Not so that the adults can instruct the child on, on, on how to live properly. He takes a child, puts him in the midst of his disciples, and he says, look at this child. You want to be great? Look at the child. You want to enter into the kingdom of heaven? You must become like this child. He uses the children as an example. As an example. And what he says is astonishing. This is astonishing. He says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, that's the greatest one. You want to be great? Look at this child. That is astonishing. These are mind-blowing statements. And now I want you to remember as we work through a couple things here this morning, and Nick brought this up, or, and maybe he said it, or, or he prayed it. He's talking to his disciples. This is instructional for us. He's talking to his followers, not just people that are outside the kingdom, not just people who are dead in their sin. He's talking to his own disciples. We got we, we to remember that as we go through this. He's talking to you. He's reminding you, yes, this is for them. Yes, this is for us. Yes, this is for those who are outside the kingdom and do not yet know Christ. But don't, but don't miss that. Don't forget that as we're working through here. He's talking to His disciples. This is what it means to be one of God's children. This is what it means to be a disciple. These children have a lot to teach us. They have a lot to teach us. And there's a lot that we could say this morning, but I have three simple things here on what these children have to teach us. And it's this. The first is this is humility. Humility, that comes right from the passage here. Whoever humbles himself, verse 4 of chapter 18 in Matthew, 
like this child, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. We're taught of humility. Second thing we're taught is to be dependent upon another. To be dependent upon another. And the third thing is to receive. How to receive. Jesus says in Mark chapter 10, if you do not receive the kingdom of God like a child, you shall not enter into it. Now, I know there could be a lot that could be said about this, but I have three things. Humility, to be dependent upon another, and to receive. That's where we're going this morning. So first of all, it is this. Children teach us humility. We, we can't miss this. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, He says that you've got to become like a child. You got to take the lowest seat. You got to humble yourself like them and be insignificant. You got you to check out of the honor game, grasping for honor, grasping for fame, grasping for authority, grasping for a position. Jesus says, no, no, if you want to be great, you become nobody. You become nothing. You become low. He teaches us of humility. We got to accept the place of lowliness and bring ourselves underneath the hand of God and not to lift up ourselves in pride over others. And we read this in Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. This is the one to whom God looks upon. And when God looks upon something or someone, it's a look of approval, it's a look of, 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 of favor. And he looks upon who? The humble and the contrite in spirit, and those who tremble at His word. That's who God looks upon. God does not look upon the proud and the haughty and the puffed up, and God does not look upon those who think themselves higher than they ought to think. God does not look upon those kinds of people. In fact, we're going to see here that God rejects and, 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 and uh, uh, resists those kinds of people. But God looks on the one who is humble who is lowly, the one who is contrite in spirit, and the one who trembles at his word. Like King Josiah. Remember King Josiah? He, they found the book of the law. They found the scriptures. And King Josiah reads the Bible as it were. And he tears his clothes in grief. No wonder why God's been bringing judgment. We've been breaking His covenant. We've been walking in disobedience. And King Josiah was one who, who was contrite in spirit, one who trembled at the Word of God, and he humbled himself. And God spared the nation for that time in, in history, for that generation. To be humble is like King Manasseh. Brethren, King Manasseh was one of the most wicked men in all of your Bibles. He was a wicked king, a wicked man, lived his life in utter rebellion. He, he, he filled Israel with the blood of children, murdering children with innocent blood. And we read at the end of his life that he humbled himself and sought the Lord's favor. And God heard his plea. God heard him, brethren, and spared him. That's fascinating. Fascinating. To look at the grace of God where you could reject the Messiah your entire life. And then if you would just but humble yourself, God would, would, would honor that. That's encouraging. 
It's encouraging for us and it ought to give us hope. It ought to give us hope that God is a God who will save if we would but humble ourselves. And we've got to tell people that. If you would but humble yourself under the reign of Christ, He would forgive you and He would welcome you and He would look upon you with favor. God is a forgiving God. He's a forgiving God. We read in James chapter 4 that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Brethren, I don't want to be a man and you don't want to be a man or a woman whom God resists. (laughs) I don't want God to resist me. God resists the proud. Pride will kill you. It'll kill you. It'll destroy you when you walk stiff-necked against God. He resists those. And He will not exalt you. And that's what Jesus says. You want to be exalted? you got to humble yourself. you got to humble yourself. And He will exalt you. He will. But God resists those who will not bend their knees in submission to Him. And you know what, brethren? Jesus, we see here, demands humility. He demands it. He demands it. But you know what? He's not commanding something that He Himself was not willing to do. He is, Jesus Christ is, the pattern in the Bible of humility. He is the pattern of humility. That was our passage that Nick read in Philippians chapter 2. He is the model of one who brings Himself low. You have the eternal Son of God who made heaven and earth, who upholds the universe by the word of His power. And in this Christmas season, we celebrate and rejoice that this eternal, omnipotent Son of God humbled Himself and became a baby. (laughs) He became a baby. He became a child. He became a man. He became one of us. And he was obedient to the point of death, brethren. He humbled himself and was murdered by the ones he made to save you, to save the world. That's humility. He's the pattern. He's the one who did not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. He's the one who renounced all his rights. Remember when uh, he was in the garden and uh, Judas and the mob came uh, to, to, to take Jesus and Peter slices off the ear of one of the people there. And Remember what Jesus told him? He says, Peter, don't you know that I could go call a legion, of, or maybe it was ten legion, a lot of angels and put an end to this? But Peter, it has to be so. I have to go to the cross. I have to humble myself and be humiliated upon a Roman cross, nailed to it, to save us. He's the pattern. That's why Paul says, look to Him. Look to Him as the one who is the picture of humility. And did God leave Him low, brethren? Did He leave Him low? No, He did not. On the third day, He rose again from the grave and God highly exalted Him to sit at His right hand to reign as King of the world. He's the King. Jesus takes the low position and is exalted. And it's the same thing for us. 
It's the same. That's the pattern. That's the model. That's the picture for us. We ought to be those who walk like Christ and who humble ourselves to take the position of little children, weak and insignificant, the humble ones, lowly and mild, and Christ will exalt you. That's what greatness is all about. We are, we are wrapped up and consumed with who is the greatest. We want to know who's number one, who's number one, who's number one in sports, in the movies, in the, you know, you got the, the, the top 100 songs. Who's number one on the top 100s? Who's the best quarterback? Who's the best baseball player of all time? Who's number one? We're consumed with it. But Jesus says, you want to be number one? Put yourself last and be a servant of all. That's how, that's how you be exalted. And Jesus was the... Ex- he, what does He do there in John? He washes the disciples' feet. He takes the lowest role of a servant, a slave, a job that wasn't His own, and He washes the disciples' feet. And Peter says, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm showing you an example, Peter. This is how you be great. Now you go out and you serve the brethren. You go out and serve one another. That's what it means to be great. That's what it means to walk in humility, serving one another. Brethren, let us walk like children in humility and lowliness. Second thing children teach us is to be dependent. To be dependent To become like a child is to be one who is dependent on another. And in a real sense, children cannot do anything by themselves. They are dependent on their parents to care for them, to provide for them, to watch over them, to provide their needs. They are dependent on another. They cannot do it themselves. And it's the same way in spiritual matters. It's the same way in the kingdom. To be like a child who is dependent is to recognize your need. Recognize your need and turn to the one who alone can meet your needs. Who can meet your needs. We have to depend upon Christ for everything. And you know what our greatest need is? We ask people this out on the streets when we go out for evangelism. What's your greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. That's our greatest need, is to have our sins forgiven. That's the world's greatest need, to have their sins forgiven. And you can't do that. you got to turn to Christ. And Christ alone can do that. He alone can save you from your sin. He alone can cleanse you. We need to be cleansed. We need to be washed. And He alone could do it. We can't do that. We can't cleanse our own sins we got to come to Christ. we got to be dependent upon Him. He's the only one who could do that. We can't cover our shame and our guilt like Adam and Eve tried to do in the garden. Remember, they, they, they sinned against God and they went and hid themselves because they were feel, feeling shame and guilt. And what they do? They tried to clothe themselves. Remember, they sewed little, little fig leaves around themselves. You can't, you can't cover yourself. You need a covering from the Lord Jesus Christ. You need a righteousness that comes from Him. And He will clothe you and I if we would come to Him and seek Him for it. We're dependent upon Him. We're dependent upon Him to cover our shame and our guilt. You can't keep yourself in the way steadfast. Christ must keep you in the way. He's got to keep you firm to the end. 
He's the one who has to hold you and carry you through this Christian walk, through this Christian life. The same thing with our children. Oh, we got to carry them everywhere. And you know what? Praise the Lord for it. Just like God carries you through. He carries you through. Oh, brother, we can't stand on our own. We can't stand on our own. But Christ is there to walk by your side, to hold your hand, like He says there in Isaiah chapter 41. He will uphold you with His righteous right hand. Don't fear. Do not fear. Christ keeps us firm in the way. Brethren, to depend upon God is to put no confidence in yourself. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3. Those of us who walk by the Spirit, we put no confidence in ourselves, No confidence in our own ability. No confidence in our own cleverness. No confidence in our own wittiness. No confidence in our own wisdom. But we depend solely upon Christ. Upon Christ. No confidence in the flesh. And that's hard to do. Because we don't like being dependent. <laughs> we think, oftentimes, and we could, we could take care of it. We could take care of it, but we can't. You know that. No confidence in the flesh. But we put our hope and our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our dependency upon God, you know where that's displayed chiefly and primarily is in prayer. Is in prayer. How much you spend in how much time you spend in prayer is a direct correlation to how dependent upon God you are. We've got to hear that. I've had to come face to face with this this week. I must be a man. You must be men and women who depend upon God. And you're going to see it in prayer. Seeking Him and asking Him continually. Continuing to seek Him. Just like children demonstrate this. Do they not? Do they not demonstrate their, their dependency when they're asking and seeking and knocking all day long? All day long. That's what they do. They ask and they ask and they knock and they knock and they seek and they seek. What a picture. What a picture. And they're seeking fallen, um, impotent parents, not an omnipotent God. But for us, it's, that's the way it is. We go to an omnipotent God. How encouraging that is. And we point our children to an omnipotent God as well. Go to Him. Go to Him. Seek Him. Seek Him. But that's the picture for us. What do you need, brethren? What do you need? All you need to do is come and ask. God promises to give good gifts to His children if you would just but come and ask and seek and knock. He promises that. What do you need? You need forgiveness? Ask. Ask. And you know what the Scriptures teach? If you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But you have to ask. you got to come to Him. you got to come and ask. You need strength? You need strength? Talked about this the other night at the prayer meeting. Just worn out. Worn out. Physically, spiritually, you're just worn out. Seek Him and ask. He will strengthen you. 
He will strengthen you by His Spirit. You need wisdom? Ask. Ask. Just like it says in James. Come, be dependent upon Him. And He will give liberally. Overflowing. Need direction? Ask. Ask. Seek the Lord. And be dependent upon Him in everything. In everything. Let's be like children. Let's be like children and depend on our Heavenly Father for all that we need. And lastly here, let's be a little bit longer. You know what else children teach us? Children teach us to receive. To receive. Children are great receivers. <laughs> they bring nothing to the table. They bring nothing to the table. They come in empty-handed. They have nothing to offer. They have nothing to offer. They just come. And they come empty-handed. Ready to receive. They're great receivers. And that's the emphasis there in Mark chapter 10. This is, this is why I want, to, I, I, I want to point this out here. Jesus says over there in Mark 10, He says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Receive. The kingdom's got to be received. The king has got to be received. The gospel's got to be received. We got to receive it if you're going to enter into it. This is what, this is what uh, we read in, in, in John chapter 1. This, is, this passage has been coming up a lot in the last couple of weeks, and it's a great passage. It's a great passage. John chapter 1, verse 11 about Jesus, the true light coming into the world. He came to His own, but His own did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name. You see, there it is. There's your parallel. To receive Christ is to believe in His name. To all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. Children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You want to be a child of God? You need to receive the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive Him. He's to be received. His own said, no thank you. We don't want this Jesus. He's a fraud. He's a sham. Get Him out of here. In fact, let's kill Him and rid Him of, rid him of the earth. Get him out. Did not receive him. But to those who did receive him, he gave the right to become God's children. We must receive the gospel. Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15? You know this passage. Here's another receiving text here. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So there is a gospel. It needs to be preached. It needs to be received and then stood upon. <laughs> that, that would be a great sermon text. 
and then by which you're being saved if you're holding fast. But, but, but the point is you need to receive it. You need to receive the King. You need to receive the Gospel. And, 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 and here in, in Mark chapter 10, you need to receive the Kingdom. You need to receive the Kingdom. Now listen, the word receive is, is not that profound. It's not that insightful. You know, you go do a word study on receive and you look at the Greek or whatever. It's, it's just it's pretty plain. Okay? It's, and even in our own context, it's not that monumental just to receive. However, when you lay it in the context of Jesus Christ and the gospel, the implications are profound. The implications are profound. To receive Jesus Christ like a child is to reject everything that is opposed to Him and His kingdom. You see that? If you receive Christ, then you must by necessity reject everything that is opposed to Christ. We got to reject everything that is in opposition to Him and His, and His kingdom. This is discipleship 101. This is what it means to be a child of God. We got to reject the world and its ways. To receive the king and the kingdom is to reject the world. To reject the world's ways, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. John says that those kinds of people will not and do not have the love of God within them. They're not Christians, they're not going to heaven. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. Those who are a friend of the world are, in, are at enmity with God. We've got to reject the world's ways. We've got to reject and hate all things that are opposed to God and righteousness and truth. We reject those things. We've been talking about this in Ephesians, right? The new man. This has been a, a, a recurring cycle there about how we're to live in light of the gospel. When we receive Christ, we reject ourselves as king. This is important. When you receive the king, you're no more king. And you used to live that way. You lived how you wanted. You did what you wanted. You submitted to no one. No one told you what to do. You were your own God, waving your fist at the Most High God, living how you wanted. In rebellion against Him. But if you were to receive Christ as king... Now, you dethrone yourself and you submit to Him. You submit to His loving and saving rule for your life. You come underneath Him. You end your rebellion. You stop stiffening your neck like a stubborn ox and you bow the knee to Jesus Christ and say, you are King and you are my King. Allow me to enter into your kingdom and He will welcome you and say, come. Come, come in. Come in. This is what Psalm 2 talks about, right? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. They are plotting, they are rebellious against the Lord and against His anointed. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the King. And what does God do? He laughs. He says, are you kidding me? You're going to... You're going to rebel against me and my son, who I have installed as king? And he laughs. He laughs. And you know what he says? Be wise, O kings. Be wise. Kiss the son. Or pay homage to the son. Or submit to the son. Come underneath his rule. Lest you perish quickly in the way. But blessed are those who take refuge in Him. What, what an invitation to those who are rebellious against the King. What an invitation that is. That's what it means to receive Christ, is to come underneath His rule. 
in every part of our life. Brother, he becomes the epicenter of everything. You realize that? When you receive the king, when you receive the gospel, when you receive the kingdom, it is the epicenter. It's the center. It's the focus of everything. Christ is your all. Christ uh, affects every part of your life. His influence affects everything. That's what it means to receive the king. That's what it means to receive the kingdom. If you took a rock and you threw a rock in the middle of a pond, you know, you're out there at Duck Creek or, you know, and, you're, and you've got a pole out there in the water and you're fishing. It's not a very big pond. Smaller ponds is better for the illustration. You take a rock and you throw a rock in the middle of that pond, the ripples are going to go out and touch every shore, touch all of it, all the way around. And that's how it is with Christ. When you receive the King and He's the epicenter of your life, the ripple effect goes out and it touches and has influence on every part of your life. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He has rule and reign over everything. And your whole life revolves around Him. It's, it's, it's around Him. We don't just slap Jesus Christ on the end of an already good life. <laughs> He's not just uh, an, an accommodation you just tack on. He becomes everything to you. Everything. That's what it means to receive Him. And to receive Him is to trust in Him exclusively. To trust in Him. And to keep Him, or, 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 or trust in Him to keep you in right standing before God. You see, we can come to Christ and be forgiven of our sin, and then now think we need to rule keep to keep ourselves in the kingdom. That's not how it is, brethren. What does Paul say? You began by the Spirit. Are you going to be completed by the works of the flesh? No. No. You come in by faith and you stay in by faith. You cling to Him in everything. You trust in Him exclusively. You trust in Him to save you. Brother, we have one boast in this life. And we boast in the cross of Christ. You get one boast. That's it. One boast. And when He's your hope, He's your boast. We could, we could hope in nothing else but Christ. I've been thinking about um, Matthew 11 a lot in the last, I don't know, couple weeks, uh, where, where, where Jesus says, There come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you know, brethren, I have thought, yeah, I did that, right? Yeah, I came to Christ, and yes, He gave me rest, eternal rest in Christ, and all these things are true. And So this verse is no more for me anymore. But you know what? In the last month or so, brethren, I've really, I've really soaked in this idea of I'm still invited to come to Christ and find rest because I often find myself still laboring and heavy laden in this world. And what an invitation Christ says to come to Him. Yes, those who don't know Christ, the invitation is to come to Him. But yes, even if you know Christ, you come to Him. And He invites you to come. Are you heavy laden with sin and burdens and, and, and pressure? Oh, come to Him and He will give you rest. 
It's to have, have our hope completely in Him. Brethren, there's no backup plan. <laughs> there's no backup plan in this. He's everything. All of our eggs are in one basket. You understand that expression? I've been using a few of those expressions lately. All right, sorry, Lydia. All right, I don't know if you know, if you know that one. But it, it, it's, you put all your eggs in one basket, and if the basket fails and you have no eggs, right, then you're out. That's how it is for the Christian. We put every, all of everything in Christ. Every, we have no backup plan. There's no plan B. It's in Him. This is why when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, remember what he says there? He says, if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, then you're still dead in your sin. You have no forgiveness. If He's not raised bodily, you have no forgiveness. And then you know what he says after that? And we of all people are most to be pitied. Why? Because all of our hope is in Him. That's, that's the reality for the Christian. It's in Him. We have no backup plan. We have no plan B. That's what it means to receive Him as King. Everything is for Him. Your eyes are looking to Him constantly and only. Remember what Jesus or what the Lord says in Isaiah 55? He says, Turn to Me all the ends of the earth and be saved. For I am God and there is no other. What a great passage that is. Look to Him. Turn to Him. Receive Him. Lastly here, for to receive like a child, it's to find in Christ the very source and sustenance of our life. All you ever need is found in Him. Everything. It's all found in Him. He's not something we tack on and add on to our life to make it better. He must be your life. As it says there in Colossians, He is your life. He's your life. Remember what Paul said in, in Philippians 3? He had all these accolades. Hebrew of Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, to zeal, persecuted the church, as to the law, blameless. He had it all stacked up for him. But you know what he says? I count it all as rubbish to gain Christ. Christ was now his life. And we draw nutrients. We draw life from him spiritually and physically from Christ. Remember what Jesus said in John 6? One of the uh, hard sayings of Jesus, when Jesus says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And you know what? People turned away from him. This guy's a maniac. And they followed him no more. That's a hard saying. What's his point there? You need to draw your life and your sustenance from me. From me and from me alone. Otherwise, you have no life in you. You have none. He is the source. And we feed upon Him. Christ is the manna. The true bread from heaven, like Sergio talked about the other night in the Bible study. He's the one who comes down and gives up His life for the world to feed upon Him as true bread, which satisfies your soul and your hunger in this world. Jesus is the rock. The rock that gushes forth water. That quenches our thirst, like Paul says. Christ is the vine. He's the vine, like it says there in John 15. He's the vine and we are the branches. 
any branch that abides in Him will bear much fruit. We are dependent upon Him. And the illustration is so perfect. If you break a branch off of a tree, what happens to it? It withers away and dies because it's not abiding in the vine. Jesus Christ is the true vine. And if we're going to live, we need to be abiding in Him. Abiding in Him. And that's how we bear much fruit. If we don't abide in Him, if Christ is not our source, if Christ is not our life, we will wither away and die. And it doesn't happen instantly, right? Right? You, you follow me here? If you break a branch off of a tree, it's not just withers right away. It's slow. It's a slow withering. But you will wither. You will wither and die if you depart from Christ. Oh, He's got to be our source. He's got to be our life. That's what it means to receive Christ like a child. We find in Him everything. Children are great receivers. They're great receivers. They bring nothing and they come empty-handed and it's the same for us. As that hymn goes, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. So brethren, in all this, in all of it, let us become like children. Let us become like them. Humbling ourselves. You want to be great? Humble yourself. Take the lowly seat. And Christ will exalt you. If we want entrance into the kingdom of heaven, we need to come and be dependent upon Him as our very source and life and sustenance. And if we're going to become like children, we need to come receiving. We need to come receiving with empty hands, saying, Lord, I bring nothing. I bring nothing. And cling to the cross of Christ. Let's pray.